BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. How many of you have tried honesty lately and found that it can be disastrous? Well, uh, <laughs> it really can be. You know, if, can you imagine what would happen if everybody really tried to be honest for about five minutes in their life, you know, in crucial moments? Like uh, you go to a sales meeting or uh, or just uh, anybody. A guy comes in and he says, how do you like my new suit? 
I mean, you know, you're really honest, you know, really are. <laughs> and, and who wants to be, really? I mean, that, let's, let's face it, friends, we're all walking around wrapped in our thick cocoon of dreams. And uh, the one thing that has made society work, I mean, man, you know, because we're basically a carnivore. And, uh, you know, man originally started out as a cannibal. And I think he just decided along the way not to, you know, be too outward about it. He doesn't... Uh, and that's what's called that's what's called society. See, coming to a, an agreement that we will lay off eating each other in public. I mean, you know, with the French fries on the side and a little uh, a little uh, you know, tomato sauce over over the kneecaps and that kind of stuff. Uh, well, now wait a minute, man. I mean, <laughs> that's true. This is not the Lawrence Well Good Time Hour here, and uh, I ain't Glenn Campbell. I'm going to say more the, about life. But uh, that's what society really is. See, it, it's it's a decision that I will protect your cocoon if you will protect mine. That really is the essence of civilized life. Now, the barbarian, he doesn't do this. The true barbarian just reaches down, picks up his iron mace, and clops you one behind the ear. Uh, this is the ultimate truth, you see. So <laughs> he figures life would be better without you on the horizon. So, bam, that's all there is to it. Now, that's uh, the difference, really, between the barbarian world and the civilized world. But then, of course, uh, being part of the, of, of a man's society, you know, you walk around, you, you, you read novels, and then uh, you go to movies. And have you noticed that that man that almost all the movies that man turns out these days is about uh, man? I mean, you know, there's mo- movies about war, there's movies about uh, about uh, sex and love and all this jazz. But rarely does man face in any of the movies. His true adversary, his true adversary, it ain't his fellow man. What is our true adversary? I mean, our adversary, really. What is our true enemy? Is walking around human beings. What, what, what's the true enemy of all living creatures? Ah, no, because it, uh, it, it, to some people, it's probably rats. But uh, I, want po- I would like to point out that, that the rat, too, uh, suffers from this same problem. I'll tell you what it is. I mean, uh, you know, uh, it's, well, for want of a better word, I hate to use such a tame word because it's such a good word. It, uh, I'd have to say nature itself. I mean, the real thing. Now, wait a minute now. We've just had floods all over the place. Thousands of people died in the floods, right? Okay. Nobody says anything about what caused the floods. It's not somebody lousing up. It's nature. That's what it really ultimately is. Yes. Have you noticed that... But we pay secret obeisance to it, though. We do. We pay secret homage to that fact. There is no subject outside of possibly politics that is discussed more continually in New York City than the weather, in spite of the fact that weather is non-existent in New York. We do not have any weather, <laughs> like, like people have out there. We don't have any weather. I mean, we haven't had a decent snow in, in three or four years, right? It never really gets hot. You think it gets hot in New York? If you think it gets hot in New York, friends, you've never been in places where it gets hot. I mean hot. 
I mean, I've been in places where the temperature's 130 degrees every day. New York, I think they pass out if it gets over 95. They walk around, you know, and Lyle Van comes on the news. Oh, today it was that, you know. No, no, no. There's no weather in New York. We don't. How long has it been since a tidal wave has moved up 7th Avenue? I mean, a 37-foot tidal wave bearing with it all the ladies from the bargain basement at Macy's, screaming and yelling and waving their shopping bags. I mean, now that would be weather. That would be what... How long has it been since the Pan Am building has been raked by a first-class tornado that just worked up one side of it and worked down the other side of it and pulled all the windows out and spit them over towards the Empire State Building along with 12,000 desks, 1,900 computers, and 422 girls from the Steno Pool? Now, that's weather. <laughs> I mean, that's really weather, and that's what people live in out there, you know, out there. And the, so when you talk about weather, this is weather is nature. Have you noticed that that uh, that the longest lasting programs on television are the weathermen? Newsmen come, newsmen go, anchormen rise and fall like ancient dynasties, like pharaohs. But Tex Antoine goes on. <laughs> Why? Well, that's because. He's dealing in something that's far more basic than, than any of the news. You see, because the news is transitory. But that front that's moving in from the Arctic ain't. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be doing that for a thousand years. Long at, in fact, you know, it's, it's led man to some, some, some terrible, uh, some, some, really some terrible uh, circumstances. Uh, locutions, uh, the whole concept of, of nature and his battle against it. You know, there's a there's a feeling that one day, that uh, you know, you you've seen the. Uh, have you ever seen pictures of the Astrodome? Have you seen that? Well, you know what they did. You know, they just put a top over the arena. That's all there is now. Now baseball is played under the under the under the roof. Football, the whole scene. Well, there has been a lot of talk of carrying that concept on to full cities. In other words, roofing over New York. I mean, New York would be in this great big dome. See, and then nobody would go to Miami. <laughs> just just sit, sit around. They could, they could set it to whatever they wanted it to be. See, if if, uh, if they decided that they wanted New York to be a semi-tropical paradise, uh, you know, they, they could set it to uh, a perpetual 81. And uh, they could even have uh, artificial clouds that... Uh, that the drift over and <laughs> we'd have a big artificial sun that would rise over in the left there on the other side of the arena, go up over the top, and we could stop it for a while, you know, set up there in the middle there, have a perpetual midnight sun, then it would get on the other side. And I presume, of course, that the, it could be set to produce, uh, at will, it could produce, uh, and they could do this in laboratories, at will it could produce a ceremonial snowfall for Christmas. Uh, you could just set it. You know, they're always, they're always talking about, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Well, New York doesn't like that. I mean, it, it really flips out. It, it sings the song all the time, but if it ever happens, immediately uh, the mayor leaves town. Uh, there's uh, the city council demands that the rascals be routed out again, and, and uh, all of the, uh, si the sanitation trucks get uh, stuck on their way to the Bronx, which does not dig out for two years later, you know. And so uh, uh, what, uh, what we would do then, with this new system, we would produce a symbolic snowfall. You know, they, the mayor would, of course, they would cut a, a, a green and red ribbon. And uh, Chris Kringle would arrive, you know, played by uh, some local actor, and they would cut the ribbon. Gabe Pressman would interview the mayor. 
and the snow would, uh, would fall on the day that Macy's is having its big Christmas sale, see? Only for 12 minutes. Everybody goes out, runs around, hooray. And then, of course, we would return to 82 degrees and the tropical paradise that we live in. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Now, what, what am I doing all this for? Before we go any further, would you please, Herbert, we've got a lot of ding-dongs here, so hit the button since uh, we've safely made it through the fourth. We can uh, play around here along with the rest of the rats. Would you please hit the sign? There we go. By the way, this is an old Portuguese folk song, and if I sang the words to you, I'd be kicked right off the air. You'd be surprised what they sing in the Portuguese music. Oh, my God, I'll meet you all. Oh, mamma mia. Actually, it's a fantastic uh, song about a, the calf of a certain girl, the left calf. She has a fantastically rounded calf, and it's, uh, you know, highly erotic in the Portuguese. Uh... Well, if uh, you're a kid type, uh, and according to the TAP people, if you're under 26 and over 12, you're a youth type, well, you can take advantage of uh, TAP's fantastic uh, youth fair. It's, TAP is the Intercontinental Airline, of course, of Portugal. Only $210, round trip. And uh, Daddy will get rid of you for a whole year. You can pull it off. In fact, uh, the ticket is good for a year, round trip. You know, you can spend the whole year sitting around in the sun, cashing Daddy's money orders and all that stuff, and having a hell of a time. And it's only $210, round trip. Portugal. The prices are incredibly low. The food is great. The people move real good. And they play a guitar. Sounds something like this. Maybe you can learn the words to it. Ah, my little Portuguese vixen. Yes, indeed. Now, that's $210 youth fare to Portugal. Go where the European kids go? Portugal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what's the matter? The evil just lurks under the surface. You just scratch me anywhere and evil comes out. Like the juice of an overripe lemon. Let's see. We have a... Uh, what is this country place? Let's do the country place thing here. What's country place? Country place. Oh, yes, 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 indeed. Uh, we have a commercial here. Oh, yeah. It says if you're uh, pushing it there, if you're 55 and older, you ought to know about a country place. Kaufman and Broads Adult Community in Lakewood. I want to pronounce that correct. It looks like it says broad, but it isn't. It's broad. Kaufman and Broads. Adult community in Lakewood, New Jersey. And uh, they've got a pretty good setup there, and they would like you to know about it. It re resembles, quote, the old neighborhood where people knew each other and helped each other. It does not have that separated from the rest of the world look or feeling. So if you visit a country place, is what it's called, you'll witness an attitude from the people who live there of a love of life, joviality. They walk around giggling constantly. And uh, I think you'll enjoy this place. <laughs> they have a putting green. A community hall, a swimming pool, Lakewood Country Club, and golf courses just a few short blocks away. You can dot her over. It faces famous Lake Carasaljo in Lakewood. To visit a country place, yes, sir, uh, take the Garden State Parkway to exit 91 or take Route 9 south to Lakewood and follow the signs. You'll see those big signs there. And if you want to learn more about a country place, write for their new brochure to blank. I don't know who he is, so you just write to blank here. It says, write to blank in care of WOR New York 10018. This is not an offering which can be made only by a formal prospectus. And that's the only way a prospectus should be, formal, all dressed up with a tie. This is WOR. We're in New York, of course. 
Yes, indeed. I, I'll tell you this. I, I, I Personally, I think this is the best time of the year to be in New York, you know? I do. I like New York in the summer. I do. It ain't exactly a summer festival. No, I, 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 uh, I take issue with him on that. It's, a, it's really more of a summer fist fight, but I always in, I've always enjoyed fist fights myself. Get a little action out there. You know, it tones you up real good. Keeps the eyes sharp. Roses in the cheeks. Uh, please, Herb, will you? What's this? Sounds kind of... Sing it, boys. Lazy summer skies. Lazy summer skies, yes. Burning sun shining down on me. Sunshine on you, yes. Kind of dry. What are you selling? Let's hear it. Oh, he's heading for ShopRite. Tie ShopRite in there with summer. Bring it up. <laughs> this is a fantastic group. Ed Nepotism and the Promotions. Wonderful crowd. Bring it on. Shop right. Boom. Boom. All right, uh, let's see. We've done the country price, shop right, TAP. We have a commercial for mandarins. It's a new game. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Mandarins. Mandarins. This is a small round things with green leaves on the top. They're nice. Candied. You ever had them? Yeah, sure. Good. They're fantastic aphrodisiac, by the way. Did you know that? In some states, they're illegal. Oh, you should see it. It's, it's very common to see a librarian crazed on candied mandarins running down the street chasing people in and out of the pool room. Well, we don't want to get into that. Now, that's a sickening sight on this day. <laughs> but uh, what we do have here is uh, we have the Mandarin House in the village, 133 West 13th Street. And if you're looking for a good restaurant, I would like to personally recommend it. It really is good. Very fine Chinese food, and uh, they specialize in the Mandarin Chinese dishes. And this is a uh, selection of the best classical food from many provinces of China, including Peking and Canton. And uh, more than that, it's a very pleasant restaurant. They have, uh, they have a garden-like. It's an outdoor dining room. It's in the heart of the village, a beautiful street in the village, by the way. And uh, you get a sense like uh, you're in a completely different world. It's, it's outside. It's a garden. It's uh, got uh, plants, and it's got a little brook that runs through it and has uh, a pool, and it's lit up at night with Chinese lanterns, and it is extremely, uh, very, very pleasant. It's on 13th Street, 133 West 13th Street, between 6th and 7th Avenues. And if you'd like to make a reservation, which is uh, kind of good to do because uh, often you may be turned away, Give them a call at uh, WA, used to be called Watkins, WA 90551. Watkins 90551. And tell them the Silver Tongue Devil sent you. Okay? Chairman. That recognizes the chairman of the New York delegation. Chairman of New York has caucus. Delegates are gathering for the 1972 Democratic National Convention. This is Jack Allen. Join me, Don Folsom, Walter Kiernan, and the rest of the WOR News team for complete coverage. 
live from Miami Beach Convention Hall, starting Monday, here on WOR. Have, have you had the feeling that certain months come uh, less frequently than others? <laughs> I'm serious. I think that, that July only comes around once every seven or eight years. It's not a, a month that one sees often. Uh, one sees more often February. I think February is a con- we have more, uh, maybe six or seven Februarys a year. I think that uh, we also have quite a few, which surprises me, uh, considering the month itself. I think we also have quite a few Octobers. But uh, very few Julys. We have an occasional June. Uh, June comes occasionally, not as often as, as, say, October, but it does come around. One of the rarest of all months, rarely do we have one in New York, is April. Very rare month. We don't have many Aprils. I don't recall an April since about 1965 we haven't had one. Do you remember an April recently? No, we just don't have them. Now, it's strange uh, how uh, months are like that. July is a very rare month, and since we are having one this year... And uh, everybody's been very pleased about it, that uh, we are actually having a July this year. But, uh, I, I, you know, July is, is a month, I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> you know what July is considered out in many areas of the country? July is considered the month of the big lightning. Oh, boy. The big lightning. Woo! I'm telling you. And I want to salute a guy today who's really seen it. I mean, <laughs> he's really seen it. Would you please give me my salute music? Uh, how about uh, something good in there, Herbert, please? Tonight, this very, very concerned radio station, dealing as it does with life and times of the human creature, would like to salute Roy Cleveland Sullivan. Roy Cleveland Sullivan as one of the few men among us who's really seen it, man. He's really seen it. My God, he's seen it. Listen to this. We have a note here. was sent to us by one of our spies. It was uh, a spy in Washington. This is the Washington Post. And it's a story by a writer named Hank Burchard for the Washington Post. And it was filed in Doom, Virginia. Doom. D-O-O-M. Doom, Virginia. How symbolic can you get? Roy Cleveland Sullivan is a veteran Shenandoah National Park Ranger who used to have a fine head of beautiful hair. He lost most of the hair last Sunday when for the fourth time in his 60 years He was struck by lightning and lived to tell about it. If that isn't a world record, it certainly puts Sullivan right up there with the leaders. It is not a distinction that he cherishes. And we quote, I have never been a fearful man, Sullivan said in his soft voice, full of the ancient Middle English accents of people who grew up in the Blue Ridge Mountains. I have never been a fearful man, but I I have to tell you the truth. Today, when I hear it thunder, when I hear it thunder, I get a little shaky. Sullivan hears a lot of thunder because he lives and works on a range of mountains where storms rage often while the sun shines on the valleys along either flank. Three of the hits 
by lightning have occurred while he was on duty, including the last one, which got him while he was manning the registration station at the Loft Mountain camping area. And we quote, Well, it, it was a gentle rain, but no thunder. Just no thunder at all. Till all of a sudden I heard this one big clap, the loudest thing I ever heard. Sullivan confesses today to a certain curiosity about why the Lord has singled him out so often. And he said, and we quote, I have tried to live a good life. I don't understand it. I've heard them lightning bolts at me. Strike number one was the worst. In April 1942, his sixth year with the Park Service, he was in the Miller's Head Fire Tower when a heavy storm hit. And we quote him again. The tower was new and they hadn't put in the lightning rods yet. It was hit seven or eight times and, uh, and fire was jumping out all over the place. So I decided to bail out. Well, I got it just a few feet from the tower. I bailed him out when all of a sudden, bam, it burned a half-inch strip all the way down my right leg, knocked my big toenail off, my foot was full of blood, and it run out a hole in my soul. Were he not a modest, a modest man, Sullivan could lay claim to five lightning strikes. When he was a boy, while cutting wheat with his father in a high meadow, a bolt struck the blade of his cradle scythe and then bounced off along the ground, setting the grain afire. So far as anyone knows, nobody has ever been hit four times and lived. Four times and lived. Uh, here's his latest one. He said, it was a gentle rain, no thunder. Tell I heard just one big clap, the loudest thing I ever heard. The fire was bouncing around inside the station. When my ears stopped ringing, I heard something sizzling. It was my hair on fire. My hair was on fire. The flames was up to six inches, burning my hair right off. While Sullivan smothered the flames with his jacket and staggered to the restroom. My head felt so hot it was terrible. I kept trying to get it under the cold water spigot, but it wouldn't fit, and I had to use wet paper towels. He was treated at a nearby Waynesboro Community Hospital. The family physician sent him home the same day with two admonitions. And here they were. Take it easy for a while. And please stay away from my cows. Lightning is a common cause of cattle losses in the area. And it seems that Sullivan attracts lightning the way other people attract head coals. People were making a lot of jokes like that to Sullivan last week, leaning heavily on the fact that his home community is named Doom, and he did his best to laugh. One of the people who used to make such jokes is his wife, Patricia. She hasn't made any since August 1970, when she was hit by lightning. While standing outside their trailer home near Sawmill Run on the western edge of the park. Now, at the slightest sign of a storm, the Sullivans rush their daughter Catherine Ann Eight and their son Timothy, Tim, Timothy Roy into the trailer. It is tucked back into the stand of, of tall pines. Sullivan has grounded the pines with copper wire now. The metal trailer itself is grounded at both ends with copper rods and a heavy logging chain. The television antenna has a big lightning rod of its own. Sullivan's third lightning strike came on July 1970. He was standing at the edge of his garden when a bolt hit the power transformer near the trailer and jumped from there and hit him on his left shoulder, knocking him several feet and leaving some very severe burns. The two earlier strikes left scars. His conversation about them involves much turning back of shirt sleeves and pulling up of trouser cuffs to show you the scars. 
strike number two happened in July 1969. Sullivan was driving a, a park truck on Skyline Drive when a bolt hit two trees on the west side of the road, jumped to a gum tree on the east side. The bolt then went through the cab of the truck, which had both windows open, jumped right past his face and relieved Sullivan of his eyelashes, his eyebrows, and all of his hair up to his hat brim. And that was the only bolt that knocked him out. The truck rolled at the stop <laughs> at the edge of a cliff, and Sullivan just sat there, <laughs> knocked out until he came to. <laughs> now, that's not funny. <laughs> now, there's a guy that's been hit by lightning. Now, now wait a minute now. I'm going to tell you a story, and, 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 and I've told this before, but this is a great time of the year to tell it. I sympathize with old Sullivan there, Ranger Roy Sullivan, because I was once struck by lightning. I'm serious. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not being funny. I'm. I'm, I'm a, and you know, once you get hit by lightning, you notice that he always talks about providence. Do you notice that? He talks about mysterious forces out there over which he has no control. Well, now, if you if you're a Philip Roth type, you feel that the only evil fate that can befall you is your mother. Well, anybody who's been hit by lightning knows there's tougher things than your mother. If you don't know who Philip Roth is, he wrote the Portnoy's Complaint. Now, there's bigger things, tougher things, and they'll cause more traumas than anything Freud could ever dream up. And I'll tell you exactly why I'm nervous about lightning. Did I ever tell you about the time... I'm listening to, to, to Phil Rizzuto one day. You know, it's kind of great to hear Rizzuto when he starts reminiscing. See, he starts talking about things. And, and here he is. He's a Yankee. You know, Phil Rizzuto's a great Yankee shortstop. Well, one day, I'm watching, I'm watching TV. See, this is where you really see reality, when you watch sports events, because none of it can be staged. It's the real thing, see. And all of a sudden, the rain started to come down. See, it's, it's the second or third inning. And this was back in the days when Mel Allen was doing the game, see. And, the, and the, the camera's just focused on the field. And you see the water coming down, hitting the tarpaulin, and, and you see the waves of the water and the rain going by. And about every ten seconds, you hear this crack of thunder. It's a July game. Boom! You know. And, boom. and off camera, Mel Allen is going on. He's talking about the league, and he's talking about the, the Yankees. They're, taking the, uh, they're doing this, and they're doing that. And uh, we're pausing briefly now while the rain is coming down. It doesn't look like it's going to last long. Boom! You hear another crash. And Phil is very quiet. You don't hear Phil Rizzuto saying anything. And all of a sudden, uh, Phil says, uh, Mel Allen turns to Phil Rizzuto, and he says, uh, Say, Phil, uh, Phil, it's true, you know, one of the safest places that you can be in uh, times of, uh, of rain like this and a thunderstorm is in the ballpark. Isn't that right, Phil? I've always heard that, right, Phil? There's a long pregnant pause, and Phil doesn't answer. You hear, boom, Lightning is lashing itself out over the Bronx. At which point Phil says, Well, uh, <laughs> I don't know whether that's true or not. Uh, I don't know whether it's true or not. Uh, Mel, you can, he's very nervous. And uh, with that, Mel says, What do you mean, uh, Phil? Nervous. And all the while I'm watching this, see, this is a real thing. There's a big thunderstorm going. Phil says, Well, listen, he says, I, Did I ever tell you about the time when I'm playing down in the. Uh, at the uh, was playing at Louisville, in fact. I think it's a three-eye league or something, whatever he's playing. He said, playing at Richmond. That's it. I'm playing at Richmond. And uh, Mel says, no, what happened? He said, well, I'm playing at Richmond. He said, I'm playing shortstop, right? And Mel says, yeah. He said, well, all of a sudden, lightning hit the field. And he says, it hit our center fielder. And went out there, and lightning hit him, knocked him down, blew his cap into the stands, knocked his shoes off. 
And he said the lightning traveled along the ground, hit a drain pipe, blew the top of the stands up. So our outfielder got up, staggered around. His cap was in the, in the field. He says, knock me flat. I was walking around out there at shortstop. Hit him out in center field, just knock me flat. And then, <laughs> you hear this thunder again. And, of course, Mel Allen went out with the, with the uh, happy, jovial goodwill of a guy who's never been hit by lightning, who assumes that anybody getting hit by lightning is folklore. <laughs> if it was very quiet. You could see he's very nervous. And even to this day, whenever uh, thunder rages over Yankee Stadium, Phil Rizzuto gets very quiet, very nervous. Once you've been knocked down by a bolt of lightning, you do not ever, ever forget it. Well, I'm going to tell you about the time I was knocked down by a bolt of lightning. Have you heard the story here? Well, you haven't heard the story? I, I, I told the story because it's one of, the, one of the most scary things that ever happened to me in my life. Well, all right, I'll tell you. It's in Indiana, right? Now, uh, the plain states, of which Indiana is one, tend to get a lot more lightning than states, uh, than places like New York City for a lot of reasons. It's, it's temperature, it's inversion, it's the lake, it's uh, cold air coming in over hot air, and it's, it's the radiant uh, uh, heat coming up from the prairies and all, and we would get fantastic thunderstorms. But to me, a thunderstorm was always just something kind of groovy, you know? I'd hear this roaring lightning out there, and I'd see these black clouds roaring around, and the, the rain comes up. Very exciting. It's very exciting, a thunderstorm. Well, on this day, it was a July day, just like a July day that we're living through now, just an ordinary July day. It was on a Saturday, as a matter of fact. It's a nice Saturday. And uh, it was one of those Saturdays where my old man was working a half a day. You know, they had the thing at the office. He worked a half a day on Saturday because of inventory or something. And the house was quiet. We lived in this five-room house. Now, the front bedroom was my bedroom. I had this bedroom. So it was my own my own thing. And uh, I had put all kinds of posters all over the wall and stuff. And I had my amateur radio rig in the front bedroom, which was on the front of the house. It was one of the few bedrooms I've ever seen that really looked out on the front street. But it was on the front of the house. And uh, it was right in the corner. So there was a window on my right and a window... On my left, I could look right out on the street, and at the same time, I could look out over the lawn of the house next to me. You see, it was right on the corner of this, this room. And in the corner of that room was my desk, which was my great pride and joy. I bought it at the, at the Salvation Army for $4. And I, it was my desk, and I put Formica on the top of it and all that stuff. See? And I had built my amateur radio rig on the top of this desk, on a rack. I had built a, about a three- or four-foot rack. It was made out of, out of uh, angle iron. Rack and panels. See, and I had these 19-inch panels. And it was really, boy, my whole life revolved around that amateur radio, my transmitter, see. And for those of you hams that are interested in what I was on, I was on 20-meter CW at the time. Now, uh, up on the roof of the house, I had, uh, I had an antenna. And the antenna, in case you're curious, was a 20-meter dipole. Just stuck up there, you know. Dipole antenna with a center insulator hanging up there. It was just hanging right on the top of the house. It was not high or anything. And uh, on this beautiful Saturday morning, I am sitting at my desk, and I am working CW. And it was July. The windows were open. It was just a beautiful thing. And you could smell the, you could smell the catalpa trees. And, yeah, we had catalpa trees right out the window. You know what? You don't see many of those around here, but out in the Midwest, catalpa trees in the West, have you ever seen them? They have these huge leaves. A catalpa tree has great leaves. Look it up in your... Your uh, dictionary, if you've never seen a catalpa tree, C-A-T-A-L-P-A, catalpa. 
and they have big leaves like uh, elephant ears, huge round leaves. And uh, they also grow these long green pods, long pods that are about, uh, oh, they're sometimes a foot and a half long, great big pods. And the catalpa trees were just going full blast. They have these great blooms, and uh, everything is warm and, and uh, real summer. And, and vacation has just begun because it's sort of the beginning of July. We didn't get out until late June from school. And it's just really great. You know, it's Saturday, and I'm on the air. Well, for those of you who don't know what CW is, CW is code, you know, with a, with a telegraph key. And I am operating CW on 20, on the low end of 20. And on this particular day, I have called a CQ, see? And, I, and, and uh, there was no DX coming in. And I, I was, the band was very lively, and there was a lot of stations on. And so I call CQ, you know, do 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 Now, around my house, uh, as in the case of all kids uh, versus their parents, there was a great gap between my mother and me and my old man and me. And uh, it is always thus. And I was up in the, always in the front bedroom uh, doing what they call making all those noises. Uh, anybody who's ever played with amateur radio as, you know, as a kid, as he grew up, that's always called, will you just cut out all that noise up there? We're trying to sleep. And look, you're making that sound on the radio again. Now, will you stop it? Well, that's, that's always called making that noise. Well, of course, uh, what you were doing was involving yourself in worldwide electronic communication. <laughs> you weren't making that noise, which was way above and beyond the kin of uh, anybody else in our family. My old man's technical knowledge, knowledge stopped short of how to use Simonize. Uh, my mother's technical knowledge consisted of, of how to get the most mileage out of a Brillo pad. And so uh, here I am sitting in there doing this mysterious thing. And I was always on the defensive about it. And they couldn't understand what all those beeps were. Mama, these, I can't stand those beeps coming out of that room all the time. Will you stop those beeps? And, and she used to see all this stuff. And, the, and I had these rectifier tubes that would glow blue. I had these, a pair of 866 Juniors, which are a mercury vapor rectifier. And they looked spooky to both my father and my mother. And every time I would put my key down, they would glow, this blue glow. Well, that not only looked very spooky, but it looked unbelievably dangerous, which, incidentally, to tell the truth, it was. <laughs> Let's face it, I had, I had a power supply that delivered 1,500 volts at 200 mils. That's quite enough, friends, to knock the front end off of your house any time it wants to do it. That's a lot of power. So I'm sitting there working away with my rig on this day, and my mother's out in the kitchen, and uh, she always, every time I got out, she would walk to the door, and she'd say, now, you be be careful now. You're really you're gonna you're gonna get a shock. Now be careful with that. And stop making those beeps so loud. Can you turn it down? And she would walk back into the kitchen. She always felt you were gonna get a shock. See, playing around with electricity. Well <laughs> I had gotten my share of shocks, and I might add RF burns, which is another story. That uh, RF what you're listening to me is radio frequency, RF. And when uh, when you're tuning up a pi section network and you start getting an arc uh, off of the uh, knob of a pi section network. I got an RF burn one time that caught me in the thumb, and I, I'm serious. It, it, it burnt me all the way down to my ankles, inside. It bored a hole in me. <laughs> so I had my share of it. See, but I never told them about it. You know, I keep this away from them. See. Oh, yes, many's the time I used to... Oh, man. So 
One day, this this Saturday, I'm sitting in the front there, and I'm working away, and I call a CQ. My mother comes in. She always did it every time I was on, because she had the radio on on the refrigerator, and she could hear the boo, 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 coming in there. She had this cheap radio. And, uh, yeah, it was called a night radio. It had this uh, night on the front, you know, with a silver visor and all that. It's a terrible radio. So she comes into the into the front, and she says, Would you, please, would you, you're making that beeping sound, and I'm, I'm trying to hear... Bing Crosby. See, there was a guy, a local disc jockey, had a Bing Crosby hour. My mother was totally in love with Bing Crosby. And that she would listen to the Bing Crosby record show. And she said, and, and be careful now. So she'd go out in the kitchen again. Ah, come on, Ma, what are you for crying out loud? So, you know, typical smart kid. I, I, I figured I knew it. I did, you know. I, I knew everything, see. I mean, I could uh, send and receive CW at about 25 words a minute at the time, you know. And I, I, I built a... a uh, Class C final, and uh, here I am. I'm using a 6L6 buffer doubler, and, and uh, I'm driving a, a, <laughs> a dipole on 20. You know, I mean, this is no ordinary kid. And no no kid ever considers himself an ordinary kid anyway, so I'm on here, you know, with my CW, and I'm... And I had a beautiful, what they call a Lake Erie swing. Yeah, I love to send CQ. Well, I stand by. I go... And sure enough, right on my frequency, a guy comes back. He's calling me, see? And he signs. His call, well, he was in Denver. He was a W-9 at that time, was Denver. Now I believe it's W-0. He signs, and he's in Denver. So I come back to him. I said, you know, I, I give him a call, and I give him, his, I give him his report. Now, this is all important, see, because all, I'm deeply involved in the QSO. So I give him his report. QSO is a ham term meaning conversation that I was having with the station. And uh, I I, uh, I notice outside the window is wide open. See, it's warm in my front bedroom there because of all the equipment that's going on. And I had these feeders that went right out the window, see, and right up to the roof. And it's warm. I have the window open. I can see a few drops of rain coming down. It's real nice. And Oh, just a great afternoon. You know, just beautiful spot. Not afternoon yet. It's about 1130, see. So I come back. And I say, I'm giving him 579X, his report. And I just tell him my name, and I raise my finger from the key. I say, handle here. I raise my finger, and then... Flash. I saw a flash. I saw that. That's all I remembered. For at least, I'd say, 30 seconds. And suddenly I come to, and I'm sitting across the room next to the day bed. And my, my polo shirt, I had this yellow polo shirt, is scorched. And I'm, my fingers, I could see my fingers are black. For an instant, I didn't know what happened. I thought maybe my, my, my power supply... I always was afraid that these cheap electrolytic condensers I had were going to go up. And that's what I thought happened. 
And, and I, I look, and it's gone. My rack and panel is gone. Gone. I mean, gone. And my mother has rushed into the bedroom, and she's standing looking at me sitting, and she, I remember her, her words. She said, I told you you'd get a shock. It was then that I realized what had happened. I had been hit by lightning. Lightning had destroyed my entire rig, had burned up my feed cable that went up to the dipole. It was gone. But more than that, it was fantastic. There was a crack that went down from the ceiling of the room all the way to the floor and had been pushed out. I never saw anything like it. It was like somebody had driven a truck inside of my room and had just run into the wall and pushed it out like the bow of a ship. It was bent out. And I'm sitting there stunned. My mother saw the crack. She says, what are we going to tell your father? We're going to tell your father you broke the house. You broke the house. I told you you'd get a shock. You broke the house. That's exactly what I did. I had broken the house. As a matter of fact, from the second floor all the way to the basement, the crack went. The house was broken. Well, we only rented that house. My old man came home for dinner, and he flipped. He says, you did what? You broke the house. I said, yeah, did. And he took one look at it. That night, we moved out. I mean, you don't stay in a house when you've bro broken the house. You don't, just don't. We moved out. We never went back to that house. And ever since that time, on hot, quiet July nights, when those faint flickers of lightning play among the nimbo cumulus, yes, I realize there's a hell of a lot more out there than your mother, kid. A lot more out there. There are evil, dangerous forces. And so tonight, we must salute old Sullivan, the only guy that's ever been hit four times by lightning and survived. He knows something's after him. He knows it's big, too. And he knows it can strike at any moment. Sullivan, I know just what you feel like. And by the way, my mother to this day believes that it was the power supply that caused that. And that uh, she always knew that I'd get a shock. And I sure did. Sometimes you can really get a shock, friends. All kinds of shocks. 